this way. But today I want to jump into Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I, like I say, this was a very prophetic word for me this week. And so I was thinking it was for me this week, but it wasn't. Because I tried to, after I took it and I, I, I applied it, I was like trying to let it go. And I, you know, I was looking forward to hearing Pastor Jerry preach, but then I felt like the Lord just told me this word needs to be here this morning. So I'm going to give it to you here too, okay? All right, so now we're going to hit this word. And I was just in the back green room with the guys talking about this word. And there, I can say this word, no problem, when I'm by myself or, you know, talking about Mephibosheth, right? But when I try to say it in front of a crowd, just like in the room, I get all messed up. So don't laugh when I get to that word. And if I mess that word up, his name is Mephibosheth. But, and if I'm pronouncing it wrong, you can pronounce it how you want. But if I mess it up as we read, just laugh. All right. Now David, now David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. So when they had called unto David the king, called unto David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul, whom I may show kindness to, of the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, whose name, who is lame in his feet. So the Lord said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Makar, 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 Makar however you want to pronounce it. I'm just calling him the big Mac. All right. The son of Amil in a town called Lodabar. Then the king David said, sent and brought him out of the house of Big Mac and the son of Amil from Lodabar. And so the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Big Mac and the son of Amil is in Lodabar. And the king sent and brought him out of the house of Big Mac and the son of Amil from Lodabar. And they, they just keep putting that name in there, I think, just to mess with people like me. It says, and now when Mephibosheth, <laughs> the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul had come to David. He fell on his face and prostrated himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth? He said, and he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continuously. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon him such a look upon such a dog as I. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belongs to Saul and to all, the house, all of his house. Therefore, you and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. And now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So Ziba said to the king, according to all that my Lord commanded, his servant so will, has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said to the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem 
for he ate continuously at the king's table, and his lay and he was laying in both feet. All right, I'm going to jump back up. What I want to give you right off at the beginning of this message today is it's very unique how David started off this chapter. David started off this chapter, and he said, "Is there anyone left?" Now. When God was speaking to me this week, when I saw, was anyone left? I instantly went back to times and seasons that I was there and I had been, I had felt the enemy had made me come to a place to feel that I had been left. One of the biggest attacks of the enemy that he will bring against his people, God's people in his church, is that you get left. I don't know about you. I don't know if you're here today. Maybe you feel like life has passed. Everybody else's life has went forward, but it's like you've been left behind. Or I don't know if you're in a relationship today and that relationship is at a place where it once was together, but now she has left and left you and you're here and she's went on, but you're still here. And I don't know if he has left and went on to go and live the way he wants to live. I don't know if you're you're in a family and you know saying it seems like that everybody in your family is doing so well, but here you are left behind trying to struggle and get through and do what you're doing. You actually could probably be in a home. I don't know how many times I could tell you this. Me and Jennifer will be in the, in the car in the house and I'll be on my phone and I'll be typing, texting my phone or I'll be doing something or she'll, she'll be talking and I can, I know the talking's going on, but I'm, I'm not there and she'll say, cricket, cricket, are you even in the car with me? And she feels like I, I, you might be in a relationship today and he may still be at home, but you can you feel like he has already left. I don't know if you're in a job and it seems like everybody else's level has that, that you've been at this job, you've been working a job and it's like everybody else is going forward but you're left. It's like they're, they're all going somewhere but you're left behind. He said, is there anyone left? The enemy constantly tries to get us to move into a place that we feel left. We feel left, other people moving, growing closer to the Lord. And it's kind of like, here we are doing everything we can do, but we're left behind what, where we feel like we should be. Maybe you had dreams and you knew that you should be farther than where you are right now, but you're, it's like you're left in the wake. I, I grew up in a home of six kids. My mom and dad were very young and had six kids. I'm I'm just going to tell you, I know what being left feels like. I got left at Walmart one time. I mean, at Burger King one time. We all went to Burger King and ate. They loaded the van up, and I was still there. And they had to come back. And I really felt what being left was like. It's one of the hardest, most desperate feelings you'll ever have is when the enemy allows to come and speak to you in your life and says that you're left. Speaks of abandonment. Do you feel like God's abandoned you here today? It's like God blesses everybody else but you. It's like God cares for everybody else but you. Why would He leave you in this situation? Why would He abandon you when you need Him right here, right now? I don't know if you're here today and it's grief. You know, we just, one of our dear brothers just went home to be with the Lord, Pastor Brett, in the Camden campus. He's such a part of this church. And my heart went out to Inga this week because, you know, we know Brett went on home. And that's awesome. But my heart went to her being left here to wait. You might be here like you're in this season of waiting. You've been left and it's a grieving feeling. It's, I mean, I'm not trying to belittle by any means. The enemy can convince you that you have been left 
You have been abandoned and you have been forgotten. You know, one of the hardest things to deal with is being forgotten. And man, my wife has a rough go at it because of me being ADD and everything that I am, I don't look at calendars often. And I can, you can almost count it every year. I'm going to forget her birthday <laughs> and I'm going to forget her um, anniversary, our anniversary. As a matter of fact, you guys remember uh, just last year, I got here, was standing on this stage preaching before I realized that it was May 26th and it was her birthday. <laughs> she was, you know, 400 miles away and I'd talked to her several times. I mean, have you, do you feel forgotten? Because the enemy looks for places that when emotions maybe are out of control in areas for him to step in and want to bring them to such a low place. This is a story about somebody that was left. And they weren't just left because the Bible says the king was looking for somebody that was left. And where they found this guy, the Bible says he was found in Lodabar. Which means low place, desolate, desperate. It was about as worse a place as you could live in Israel at the time. The enemy loves to get you into a situation to where you will feel like you've been left. Because if he can make you feel left, the next thing he does is he will move you into a place of low living. That is desperate and so hard that you can't see a way out of. But I want to turn that word left around for you today. The Bible says, is there anyone left? The king said, is there anyone left? He was looking for somebody left. Because the enemy wants you to make you think that that word left is abandoned, forgotten, rejected, overlooked, passed on, and you're stuck in this situation you're in now. But that's not what the king said. The king said, is there anyone left in the house of Saul? He wasn't looking for somebody stuck or left behind. He was looking for somebody that had survived. I'm here to tell you, if you're in this room today, the enemy tried to make you get stuck where you are. But God doesn't look at your situation as you being abandoned, forgotten, or overlooked, or passed by. He looks at your situation as you have survived what you've been through. And if you're still breathing, if you're still here, God has a plan for you. And it is not for you to be and do what you've always been. God has got you. He's Bible says the king was looking for somebody that has survived. You say, well, Cricket, I have barely survived. I don't care if you've barely survived. You've survived. You've made it. You're here. And because you're here, you need to know God was involved in this situation. He says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? Not was anybody forgotten? Was anybody abandoned? Was anybody, you know, overlooked? No, has anybody survived? I can tell you this, whatever you've been through, if you'll look back in your situation, you'll find some people that have went through it too and they didn't survive. I know people that got cancer reports and they didn't make it. I know marriages that hit rocky spots and they didn't make it. I know situations where their finances broke and they didn't make it. They had to file bankruptcy. There are people that have been through what you've been through and they did not survive it. If you're here today, God has got you to this point for a purpose. You have survived. You're not forgotten. You've not been abandoned. And he tells us in the rest of this scripture, he says this, he said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? 
And then he releases his plan. He says that I can show the kindness of the Lord to him. Let me tell you what your tomorrow is going to begin to look like. I don't care how bad it seems to this point. I don't care what you've been through. If you've been through and you're still here, you have survived. If your marriage is holding on but by nothing but by a string, if you're battling a cancer, if you're battling a disease, if you're battling depression, if you're battling a circumstance that you think, I can barely make it through this, the good news is this. God is looking for you. And when you get His eyes on you, the Bible says this, He has a plan to show you goodness and kindness. God has good things in store for you. Jeremiah 29 11 says this, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. All right, he's looking for you. But he says, hey, is there anyone left? Is there, is there anyone? Where would they, I, I, get, I need somebody to show me where that somebody that has survived all the wars. See, what had taken place up to that point was the wars going on in Israel. Israel was plagued by wars on both sides. And what had taken place was Saul was anointed to be king, but yet he had lost the anointing, but he still held the position. But David had been anointed king. And so in that situation, just in its own, uh, own personal civil conflicts, Israel was at war with itself. But then David was going across the borders in the Philistine land and he was warring with the Philistines. And then the Philistines were coming over to attack Saul. I mean, every which way you look, there was battle, there was conflict, there was things. And I want to tell you something. A lot of people did not survive those battles. As a matter of fact, every single member of Saul's family died in those battles. But the Bible says God started looking for a survivor. The king said, has anyone survived? Is there anyone survived? Because this is what my heart is. Because if they're still alive, if they're still holding on, if they're still making it, I'm going to give them goodness that they can't possibly understand. Says, he said, is there anyone left in the house of Saul so that I can show you goodness? I want you to understand something. A lot of times when we're, when we're going through circumstances and we're going through situations, the enemy wants you to think that you've been forgotten and you have been abandoned. No, if you are alive, God is looking for ways to get goodness into your situation. And the thing about it is, for Him to be able to get goodness in your situation, we have to reposition ourselves at times so that the King can do it. Now, here it says, the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans that I have for you. Now, although He has plans for you, doesn't mean you will fulfill them. You have to understand that the plans are there and that they're for you. They're just not random and they're just not out there. He says, has anyone survived in the house of Saul so that I can show goodness to? It says, I know the plans that I have for you. They're good, not evil. Good, not evil. They're to give you a future and a hope. That tells you this. It's not always going to be this way. You're not always going to be in this circumstance. You're not always going to just be a survivor. When God finishes what He's doing in your life, it will no longer be a a story of survival. It will be a story of thriving. You're not to be a survivor. You're to be a thriver. Because God's looking for people to be able to pour His goodness on. Now God has a process. You say, well, Cricket, if that's true, tell me, tell, why am I... Because God has a process. 
God has a process of taking you in your circumstance, in your situation, and Him keeping His eye on what you're going through and what you're going into. And what He does is He aligns things in your future even when you don't even know it taking place. The Bible says there was one servant left of the house of Saul. See, they all could have died. But God made sure there was one left there that was going to be able to bring about what this guy needed in a circumstance in his future for God to be able to release goodness into his life. We'll get into a little bit more of that in a minute, but you need to understand this. God is at work in your situation. And the process of God is, I don't understand it at all times, but I've come to a place now where I can trust it. You know, those saying is, I can't doubt Him because I know too much about Him. The Bible says, lest a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it bears no fruit. There is a process. But do you know that grain of fruit does not stay dead? Grain of wheat does not stay dead. It will live again. And you may say, you're cricket, I'm left and she's gone. And I'm left and there's nothing in this situation here anymore. I'm left and... But I want you to know, so I don't care how dead it is. God's going to make good come out of it. And he said, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? I want to break down real quick this story and we're going to pull out a few things out of Mephibosheth's life because he's a very unusual guy in the Bible. But God said, he, the king said, I want to find a king's kid. That yeah, he's been through some stuff because for anybody to even be here at that time, they had to have been through some stuff. And the thing about it, he says, I'm going to find him and I'm going to find a way to make what he's been through turn for the good in his life. I want to show the kindness of the Lord. Now the problem with Mephibosheth, he was, he was, he was blood born into King Saul's lineage. And so... What it was, King Saul had Jonathan. Jonathan had Mephibosheth. And in the haste and in the wars, when Saul died, the families freaked out because although David did not raise a hand to Saul's family, Saul was in a battle and Saul died and Jonathan died in that battle. And when the country heard the king had died, all of usually what took place in that time was when a new king stepped onto the throne, the first thing they did was went and killed any heir that would ever be able to challenge the throne or the rivalship of that new king. Now, David had the rightful heir to be on the throne. David didn't take anything from Mephibosheth. Because if you remember in the story, when Jonathan, when Saul died, when Jonathan died, the next in line would have been King David. Because he had married when he killed um, Goliath. He got the prize was to marry the king's daughter. So when Saul died, they took the crown to King David. He was, isn't it amazing how years before, when God anointed David to be king, when it unfolded, it looked like Saul was going to kill David. Look at him, there was no way he was ever going to possibly. God was working all along because Saul couldn't even stop David from being king. As a matter of fact, Nothing could stop David being king because he was anointed to be king. You need to know this. Somebody in here is worried about their kids. Thinking, are they ever going to come around? Is it ever going to change? You need to understand, you are an anointed child of God. And the Word of God promises you that you and your household 
will be saved. It cannot keep them from knowing the knowledge of God. you got to understand, the Word doesn't fail. But so, he said this. He said, well, think about myself. So the, the Bible says when, when they heard that Saul had died, his maid picked the baby up. Mephibosheth was just a baby at the time and was going to flee to hide the child. But on their way out, she dropped the child and he landed and it crushed his feet. Now, I want to go back to, is there anyone left from the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? We can understand that a prince, a baby, a child of a king deserves blessing. But what about the ones that are broken? Or what about the ones that are damaged? Or what about the ones that can't walk? Or what about the ones that are lame? I want you to know something that anybody would love nothing more than for you to think that your brokenness is going to keep God from being good to you. It cannot. God does not disqualify a single person for the brokenness in their life. As a matter of fact, God looks for broken situations and circumstances in your life so that He can release His goodness through. Unless you're weak, He can't be strong. Unless you're poor, He can't turn it in your situation. You've got to understand, the brokenness does not disqualify you. They said, well, what about him being damaged? What about, you know, he can never walk like a king and talk like a king because he's been lame, he's been dropped, he's been destroyed. His legs have been shattered and crushed. Even the word Mephibosheth means shattered. His life was shattered. I, I don't know if you think I'm disqualified because my marriage is shattered. I don't know if I'm disqualified because my finances. I don't know if because my family. I don't know if it's because of me. I don't know if because of my, my addiction. I want you to know something. There's never been such a bad tragedy in anyone's life that the power of God could not flow through and cause all things to work together for good. I don't care what brokenness somebody has in their life. What I care about is are you letting the king see what he can use? Because the king is looking for an opportunity to flow into your situation. But as long as the enemy can keep you thinking that my damaged parts are too bad, that God can't fix me, God can't use me, God can't bless me, then you are putting yourself in a place that you were never intended to live. Never was a king's kid ever intended to live in Lodabar. God never intended that Mephibosheth was born to live in the palace. It didn't matter what his daddy did. didn't matter what his mama did. didn't matter what his grandfather did. His grandfather blew it more than anybody else in pretty much the whole Bible. But still, God's plan for him was to live in the palace. But see, he didn't think that. He didn't feel that. He didn't see that. He thought everything going on around the outside of him was keeping him into a place that he was never born to live. He knew he was living a low existence of life, but he thought he couldn't do nothing about it. He thought that everything going on on the outside was controlling his factors. But you need to understand something. Circumstance don't control your situations. God is in control of the circumstances and the situations. You may say, I can't do nothing about the situation I'm in. You're absolutely right. If you could, you would. You would have already gotten yourself out of this mess. But you need to know something. The goodness of God can bring you out of whatever situation you're in. He was living in Lodabar, although he was never meant to live there, but because of brokenness and things that have happened in his life, he finds himself living in a place that he never could imagine he would be in or never even thought that would be his home. But God said this, you may have decided that that's okay for you, but that's not good enough for me. And he sent 
sent people into that situation. He sent people into that low place. He sent people to Lodabar. And the Bible says to pick him up and carry him out. I'm here to tell you, if nobody has told you God wants you to get up and get out, I'll be the one to tell you today. God does not want you to live this way. God has better things in store for you. And I'm here to try to pick you up. And if you will decide to get up, most of the miracles that Jesus did was not through necessarily power first. Most of the miracles that Jesus did in the New Testament was when people began to understand that I need to reposition myself, then the power of God would flow. For example, at the pool of Bethesda, the guy had been there for years and years and years, laying lame. The Bible says that what would happen to the waters is every so often an angel would come down and stir it. Well, that's what the the, um, the NIV leaves that part out. But various translations tell why. But the, the fact remains in every translation that every so often a move of God would happen. And whoever would stick their foot in the water first got their healing. Jesus showed up one day and this is what he said. Walked up to the guy in the back of the line. I figure he got to him first, not because he was special, because, but because he was the first one Jesus came to. I don't believe Jesus would pass anybody by, except those that should be doing better. But the Bible said this, the, the disciples, the Bible says they were in a storm. You can read it in Mark chapter 4. It says they were in a storm. And it says, here comes Jesus walking on the water. And it said this, he would have passed them by. You ever felt like God passed you by? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I've been, I've been thinking people are getting blessed this way and healed that way, and I'd be sitting there still broken. Let me tell you the secret to keep from being passed by by God. It tells it to us right there in Mark chapter 4. It says, He would have passed them by. It said, But they began to cry out, Jesus. Jesus, you want to keep from getting caught out? You keep yourself in a position. I'm passed by. Keep yourself in a position of crying out to God. God, I need you. God, I have to have you. The storm. And so it said he would have passed by. But I don't believe Jesus passed anybody by that didn't know better. The disciples knew. Hey, man, if you need God, call him. Church, we should know. If you need God, call on him. Because he is an ever ready help. But the Bible says this dude was laying in the back. And, and so when Jesus came, it says he was laying, and when Jesus came there, he says, don't you want to be healed? And I think that repositioning in this story was, Jesus was shocked that somebody that needed healing that bad was sitting in the back of the crowd. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've been through stuff bad enough in my life that the back row of a church don't work for me. Because what if the water stirred that day and I couldn't get there fast enough? You position, the position you put yourself in will honestly affect how God can reach into your situation. But he said, so, but, so he could, but did the story tells that that guy, he couldn't do anything about his situation. He was lame. So, so he was in the back and he said, every time I go to get in, somebody gets in in front of me. And so Jesus realized that. And so I want to know if you don't got what you need in you to be able to get up front, God will come back there. He ain't limited to the front. He can get to the back. And so that's why when I was at my worst days, in the worst places, doing things I never should have been doing, God walked in my situations and says, don't you want the life that you know I can give you? And then He gave me the repositioning steps to get there. He looked at the lame man up there and He said this. He says, take up your bed. In other words, He said, get up. One translation says, He said, get up. Before He was healed, He had to raise up. Here in Lodabar, the king wanted to show him kindness. But he couldn't show him kindness. Couldn't show him the Lord's kindness as long as he was staying in Lodabar. 
He had to get him up and bring him out. I believe there's some people in here that are living a lower level of life than what they know God wants for them. And if you'll get up out of your stuff and decide that I was never born to live in a low place like this, I may not can do anything about my circumstance or situation, but I will be willing to come out of it. God will meet you there and He will set you at a table. Now the Bible said this, the Bible says that He was broken and He was shattered. But this is the sad part because the person that broke Him and shattered Him was somebody He should have been able to trust. There's some people here today that have been broken and shattered by people that should have protected you and should have trusted you. The one put in charge of Him to keep Him safe, the one put in charge of Him to keep Him well was the very one that dropped Him and broke Him. Now what do you do when the ones that you're supposed to be able to trust break you? What do you do when the ones that you're supposed to trust cause you to fall and break yourself in a place you can never walk the same again? Well, this is what you have to do. You have to be willing to take a step out of Lodabar. One of the main factors that keep people living in a place called Lodabar is the understanding of they can't forgive who it was that did it to them. And I understand there are people that have done bad things. There are people that should have never did that to you. There are people that should have never put you in that circumstance. There are pastors that should have never used you that way. But I'm here to tell you this. If you can't move to a place to forgive them, they're probably not living in Lodabar. But you're stuck here. The first step to come out of Lodabar is for you to rise up and be a big enough person to forgive whoever it was that broke you. Some of us in here, it's husbands and wives. Some of us in here, it's mothers and fathers. Some of us in here, it's bosses or co-workers, brothers or sisters, pastors and leaders. See, the enemy wants to use a mistake or a failure in somebody else's life to drop you and break you and keep you stuck in a place, laying on a ground in a low place, wounded and shattered, not able to do anything better for yourself. Now, this is the truth. A lot of times we've been taught what forgiveness is and we've been taught forgiveness is wrong. Or we've been taught forgiveness wrong. Forgiveness is not forgetting. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not you forgetting what they did. Pretending like it didn't happen. Moving it to a place where, all right, we're just going to play fake here now. Uh, you know, you did this to me and this happened, but you know, I'm going to be a big Christian and I'm just going to let bygones be about it. That's not forgiveness. You need to understand, that's not how God forgave you. Forgiveness is not you uh, choosing to let them off the hook. They're not going to get away with it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says forgiveness is what it says, and it's found in 1 Peter 2.20. It says this. It says, what does it profit a man if, if um, he strikes you and you strike him back? It says, no, when that stuff kind of happens, I'm going to paraphrase you on down, but it says when that kind of stuff happens, this is how you react in it. It says, when they, Jesus being our perfect example, it says when they struck him, he struck them not. When they rabbled him, he rabbled them back. When they made threats to him, he did not threaten back because, and here's the secret, it says, he entrusted it. Unto God, 
who judges justly. This is what forgiveness is. Come here, Justin, just for a minute. If you don't mind. Man, I've got to be honest with you. There are people that have hurt everybody in here. All right? And so we're going to pretend like this is my hurt. Justin is going to give me a hurt. Now that he's given me my hurt, as long as I hold on to it, it affects me. As long as I hold on to it, the weight is in my hands. He don't got it. Do you understand? They get away with it. But I don't. I'm carrying this thing around. And the truth be told, most of our hurts are so big, we're walking around bowed down in life. Keeping us living in a low place. Because what really happened was so bad that it is. It's enough to crush a man. But God didn't want you to stay that way. And He said this. God gave us a perfect example. And so, it's not forgiveness is not me taking this and pretending it didn't happen. And us trying to put it behind us. That's not forgiveness. It's still here. He's still free. I'm still waiting. This is what forgiveness is. And it's not me giving it back to Him. He gave me a hurt, and me giving him a hurt back, that is not forgiveness. That, that scripture that says, vengeance is thine, a lot of times we want to interpret it, vengeance is mine. But that's not what God said. So, this, you need to know this, no one was ever healed by hurting someone else. And so, what unforgiveness does is tells us that they gave me this pain, they put this, so for me to deal with it, I need to give it back to them at the same level they gave it to me. And we will even waste our prayer saying, God, you saw what they did, get them. God, you saw what they did, deal with it. God, they get you. And so we try to inflate back. This is what forgiveness is. If Justin gives me pain, I take the pain. I understand it's real. And then this is what it says. I entrust it unto God. I give it right there. And then I step back. And no longer does he have to carry it. No longer do I have to carry it. But you need to know, he didn't get away with it. Because it says, we entrust it unto God. And it says this, who judges justly. No one gets away with anything. God is just. And he's judging. And the truth is, there's a judgment day for every single one of us. And I will not get away with anything. That I've done. As a matter of fact, sin never goes away. It can go off my record. But it can't go away. Sin has to be paid for. And that's why Jesus paid. So when I sin, or I hurt someone, or I offend somebody, or they, they hurt me, if I give it to God, what happens in that place is this. God gets to take care of it. And the way God's taking care of my failures, He gives me a chance to allow Jesus to pay the price for it. He's given a way for us to get out of it. But nobody gets away, gets away with it. Jesus had to die. And just like I want to be saved, and I want to be healed. I, Jesus, God wants, the Bible says it's God's will for none to perish. God loves them as He loves me. But if I can't be a big, if I can't rise up out of low bar and say, you know, what's happened to me is bad. Now, see, it's not forgetting because there are two, you know, there are some people that you can go through this process with and by the restoration power of God, God can restore these relationships. But I want to tell you that there are some people you do not need to restore the relationships back. 
Just, I mean, there are some people, there are some people that need to say, what you did to me as a little girl, I forgive you, but you will never get a chance to do it to this woman. You need to understand, those days are over. I forgive you, I've given that to God, but I'm not going to give you a chance to do it to me or my children again. Sometimes you do got to build a wall. But you can't, if you hold on to it, it's got you in a low place. But so then you move into forgiving. When you give it to God, check out what it says. The brokenness that that pain caused. It says that you give it to God who judges. He entrusted it unto God who judges justly. It says the next scripture. By his stripes we were healed. That pain, that hurt, that anguish that you've been carrying around for so long. You can't get healed until you give it to God. As long as you're trying to give it back to somebody else or you're trying to pretend it never happened or you're trying to put it in a place that maybe it don't affect your future, it keeps creeping back in you and you keep staying shattered and you keep staying broken and you stay low living in Lodabar. But when you give it to God, it says, by His stripes, you are healed. And so when you can move past the people that have dropped you and you allow God to begin to move you to a place To bring him into the palace. The problem here though shows up. It says they brought Mephibosheth out of Lodabar. He got out of that low place. And he came into the king's presence. So now he was in a beautiful place. But he was still badly damaged. Because in the story it mentions again he was lame. You can be at the right place and still be broken. There are Christians that are saved and addicted. There are Christians that are saved and in bondage. There are Christians that are saved and in depression. There are Christians that are saved and still their lives are total wreck. How can that be? Because he was in a king's palace, but the Bible says when he got in that palace, he says he laid on the floor prostrate before the king. The king sent someone in there to stand him up but yet he refused to allow what was going on in the king palace to affect him. So he said, All right, I've always been this way. It's always been this way in my life. And even though God may move me out of a circumstance and a situation that's happened in the past, my then is still going to affect my now. The devil can only work to two parts of your life. The devil can only work in your then, and he can only use the then to affect your now. But when you understand that the devil can't take your then and cause it to affect your tomorrow, then you understand that if it happened then, I don't have to let it affect my now. Because where God's got me now is not then. As a matter of fact, at the very beginning of it, He said, hey, did anybody survive the then? Is there anybody make it through what they've been through then? Has anybody else left living through then? They may be broken. I don't care. They may be shattered. I don't care. They may not can walk right. I don't care. I don't want them to stay living in the then. I want them to come out into the now. But so many people move through life letting their then still control their now. And if the then is controlling your now, what happens is you will eventually live your then again. And so what happens is you'll watch it. There'll be one lady come out of a messed up relationship, messed up marriage. She'll get away from it. She'll get saved. She'll got to start moving in her life. But then because she can't let, she has moved to a place of her then affecting her now, she'll get into another relationship and she'll treat this husband like he did that. 
Or you'll get into a job and because you were treated or misjustly done on your job, you'll treat your co-workers and your boss just like you did then, now. And it'll keep you from going where God wants you to be. You have to get to a place that if God brings you into the king's palace, you live like a king. You quit living like a dog. The Bible said this. He said that they brought him in, he laid him before the king, and the king looked at him. And I'm sure David's jaw dropped because he's like, man, look at what we're... Instead of him looking around and seeing the goodness of the Lord, what he did was he sat there, he got his face back down to as low a place as he could lay. It says he laid prostrate. He kept, he kept his eyes seeing what he had always seen. If you keep looking for the same thing you've always looked for, you keep looking for every preacher to hurt your feelings, you keep looking for every man to do you wrong, you keep looking for every boss to want to get rid of you, if you seek and you shall find is what the Bible says. Whatever you're looking for will turn the direction of your life. You start looking for opportunities for God to bless you. Instead of getting up in the morning and saying, i got to go to work today, get up in the morning and say, man, I wonder how God's going to show me His goodness when I'm there today. What you look for, you will find. And so it says he lay, he got in the king's palace, he lay prostate on the floor, looking at the... He was looking at the floor there. He's looking at the floor now. You, you're looking at what happened to you then. Quit laying. You're going to keep looking for it. You're going to keep having it, even though you're in the king's palace. Move out of that. And the Bible said the king had him pick him up. And check out this. Well, he said, look at me, I'm a dog. If you can't see yourself the way God sees you, you will always be what you've always been. God has the ability to look at circumstances and situations and see what they can be. Started in Genesis. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void and without form, and darkness covered the face of the earth. And the first thing God did was He said, Let there be light. How did He know the light could even be? Because it wasn't even... There, but he knew it could be. Let me tell you how you know what your life can be. It's the same thing as what made in Genesis. Hey, you have to see what the Word says. And it may not be here yet, but if you can see what the Word says, then you can be what it is you see. But if you can't see, God, God was able to look at that through that water. He could see the trees. He could look through that water and see the beautiful coastlines. He could look. All that didn't exist. But it didn't come about until the words of God began to be seen. So if you're in a king's palace, if you, if you know the Lord, but you're still living a low-level life, you have to get in and see what God said. There are 7,000 pictures of what your future should look like. In the pages of the world. There are 7,000 promises in the Bible that tell you what your tomorrow should be. There are three yous. There's the you that was, there's you that now, and there's a you that's going to be. And if you will take from where you were and where you are right now and put what the Word of God says and put it inside here till you can see it out here, you'll be it down there. It's the way it works. But if you keep looking at him like he's a dog, you keep looking at her like she'll never change, you'll keep looking at that church that it's all about old people, you keep looking at that job as that boss is great. You, you can't, you got to start looking at it differently. And then the Bible said this. The Bible says, he said, why would you look at me 
because I'm a dog. The king called him a prince, but he called himself a dog. You need to understand something. He said, is there anybody in the house of Saul? He was looking for a prince. He was picked. He was chosen. He was brought to where kings live. He was brought to where kings were supposed to be. But when he got there, because he wouldn't stop letting what he had always been come out of his mouth, it kept him flat on the floor, even though he is in the presence of a king. That's why Christians can be in a church and still be bound. Christians can be in a church and still be addicted. Christians can be in a church and still divorce. Christians can be in a church and still die of cancer. Because what it is, is it's not, they're not seeing it and they're not saying it. This is how the Word of God works. You have to open it, like we talked about last week. The Word of God is the word power of God. But it has to be activated. If you do not activate the Word of God... It will never work for you. Although it is the power of God. But this is what I said. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. God has the power to change your situation. But so how do I activate it? Well, first of all, I have to open it and I have to see it. Once I see it, I have to let it go in me. Then I have to let it come out of me. It goes in just like air. This room can be full of air. But if I don't let it come in and let it come out, it cannot give me the life that it was created to give me. The Word of God has to come in and it has to come out. And when you see what the Word says about you, and it goes in your eye, and then it goes down and you let it come out your mouth, it's only a matter of time before your circumstances begin to change. That's what the Bible said, and I'm done. Come on up, Brother Naaman. The Bible says that, see, even though he was broken, and even though he was more, he was born with destiny and purpose, but circumstances and situations had taken place in his life that he thought he could never be what he was born to accomplish and be because of what other people had done, because of circumstances he'd been through, because of the place he began to find himself living, and then what he began to believe was normal. you got to understand, see, he thought he was a dog because he lived like a dog. And he couldn't understand that you can take... They, they say this, they say you can take the boy out of the country... But you can't take the country out of the boy. God can take you out of what you came through. But if you don't allow God to take what you've been through out of you, then you're going to be what you've always been. But He brings you into places like this, in the presence of the King. The King is here. He's here. The Bible says we're two or three gathered together in His name. He is here. He was where, you can picture this poor kid, very malnutritioned, very lame, didn't have the strength. Why did he lay flat on his way? Because he probably did not have the strength to stand up. But he didn't recognize where he was. He was in the king's courts. He was in the presence of the king. And everything he needed to restrengthen him was sitting at a table in the very room that he was standing in or laying in. But he didn't have the strength to get up. And the truth of the matter is, you don't have to have the strength to get up in here today. Because like the king in the story, 
He made sure when he couldn't get up, he was able to get up with help. And they picked him up. First, they brought, they picked him up and brought him out. And they got in the king's court and he laid down right like he was. And the king says, no, don't you understand? I got more for you than that. I didn't just bring you into a, a better environment. I brought you into a better life. And the Bible says they told him to pick him up and set him at his table. You've got to understand that you're sitting in the king's court and there's a table for you in here today. You say, well, Cricket, I don't understand this spiritual stuff you're about to talk about. I'm going to tell you this. If you will allow God to serve you the meals that He has for you to eat, you're going to walk out of here completely different than when you came in. For example, I don't, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He serves nothing that's not good for you. But and I'm trying to get what he did was brought him to the table. And a lot of times we get to the table, but none of us eat. And if Mephibosheth would have got to the table because he could remember what he looked like or remember what he'd been through or remember where he came from and remember what others did to him, if he would have kept all that in sight, he never would have picked up the food off the table to eat. But you know what I love about the table? That said, do you know why the king, I believe, picked him up off the ground and put him at the table? Because when you get to the Lord's table, the part of Mephibosheth that was so broken and so shattered, when he sat at the table with all the other princes, and all the other princesses, and sat there with the king's court, and sat there with all the brilliant minds, and sat there with the king himself, the table covered the brokenness of the lame man. And sitting at a table, you could not tell who it was that had been broken. Sitting at a table, you couldn't tell who'd been through hell and back. Sitting at a table, you couldn't see who the enemy tried to destroy. Because sitting at the table, everybody becomes an equal. And i got to be honest with you, I don't care what you've been through. You, As long as you're out from the table, everybody knows it. But when you come to the table that God has prepared for you, nobody can tell you from anybody else. You look like you belong. And somebody needs to know, you need to quit feeling like you don't belong here. You're at the king's table. And the king has food for you and things. And then the promise out of it is this. The promise out of that is this. Everything that the wars, the battles, everything that the looters and the thieves took, the king said, give every bit of it back. You need to understand, you will not live the rest of your life broken if you'll let the Lord pick you up, move you into His presence, not let you stay the same. Bring you to a table and let he, what He's prepared for you feed you and go in you and nourish you. And you will become like every great man you have ever seen. Do you know who sat at those tables? You can do your history. David had 200 mighty men. Out of those 200 mighty men, there was Abishai who could kill a thousand men. At that table, there were the men that, there was one guy that went and fought a battle in a bean field. Why in the world would anybody fight over beans? They had to be vegans, that's what they say. But 
He went and fought in a bean field and slew an army in a bean field. Do you know why I believe that man did that? Because those were the king's beans. And he knew he had a purpose. And his purpose was that if God can use me to defend his beans, hey, I'll do it and I know he'll empower me. At that table were mighty men. But God took a crippled, orphaned, broken Lodabar boy that's name meant shattered, brought him in and put him at the same table. Do you know why? Because can't nothing keep God from making you what you are if you'll just make sure you're where you're supposed to be. Do you understand? And I believe this. I believe there are some people that I believe some of you are even saved. I believe, but you've been living a lower level of... I'm going to tell you, this is a prophetic word for me. There were areas this week that the Lord told me, Cricket, you're saved, but you're living in Lodabar with your thinking and with your bitterness and with your being, not being able to move into forgiveness. And it's holding you back from being at the table with the rest of the mighty men. And so personally this week, I had to come to the table and I had to lay down some bitterness and unforgiveness that I had. I didn't let them off the hook. I gave it to the Lord. I had to look at some mistakes I made in my own personal life. And when I, every time my mom would go to them, I would think that disqualifies me from being anything more than I ever could. And I had to lay my crippledness before the Lord. And then there were some things I had to change my thinking about some things with my reading abilities and things like that. I thought God can never. And God said, why in the world would you not think I could, you, I could, I've spoke through a donkey. You've got hope, cricket. You've got hope. And I had to lay down all of my insecurities and failures. And this week, personally, I've experienced that the Lord has brought me to a table. He's begun to feed me things that I just sit back and say, Oh God, you're so good. I'm here to tell you this. There's a table here today. And we're about to open this up. Brother Naaman's going to sing this song. And when this song comes on, I believe there's some people that need to come to the table. You've been living a lower level of life than you do. You need to come lay some things down. I believe there's some that need to lay some forgiveness down. I believe there's some that need to just lay their image of who they are instead of the image of who God says they are down. And you need to just sit at the table and let God show you there's no difference between you and any other man God chose to use. If you'll just keep coming to the table, it's only a matter of time. Everything you lost, you will get back. Amen. You receive it? Praise God. Name it. I'm going to open the altars. I'm going to ask you to sing. If you know you've been living in Lodabar, but you're so sick of living in a place that you were never designed to live in, and you want to get to the table, I'm going to ask you to come up, and you just find a place, and you let the Lord serve and feed you whatever it is you need. Go ahead, guys.